Hello everyone, I'm your host Luke, and this is my co-host Rod, how's it going everybody? And today we're covering Norse mythology, so this is before they uh, converted to uh, Christianity, this would, you know, is most commonly associated with the gods that the Vikings uh, would have worshipped. Um, so... This is also known as Norse paganism, it is the most common name for a branch of Germanic religions, which developed during the Proto-Norse period when the North Germanic peoples separated into distinct branches of the Germanic peoples. Um, da, 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 da. Numerous Old Norse works dated to the 13th century record Norse mythology, a component of the religion old north's religion was polytheistic entailing a belief in various gods and goddesses these deities in norse mythology were divided into two groups the aesir and the vanir who in some sources were said to have engaged in an ancient war until realizing that they were equally powerful um you know we have the more well-known gods like Odin and Thor, Loki. Um, there were they also believed in multiple wor worlds, and this cosmology revolved around a world tree known as Yggdrasil, um, with various realms existing outside and alongside that of humans named Midgard. Um, so originally, these were. Um, passed down through or oral culture rather than through codified tasks. And Old Norse religion focused heavily on ritual practice with kings and chiefs playing a central role in carrying out public acts of sacrifice. Um, various cultic spaces were used. Initially, outdoor spaces such as groves and lakes were typically selected. But after the 3rd century CE, cult houses seem to also have been purposely built for ritual activity, although that this was never um, widespread. Norse society also contained practitioners of Seir, S-E-I-O-R, I can't pronounce that, a form of sorcery, which some scholars described as shamanistic. Various forms of burial were conducted, including both inhumation and cremation, typically accompanied by a variety of grave goods. And now I'll kick it over to Gerard to introduce us to some of the uh, gods they worship. Yep, so I'm going to butcher pretty much all of these names, but I will try my best. Um, Don't so worry, we're used basically, to it. Wait, wait what'd you say? What? <laughs> I didn't ca catch what you said you cut out. I, I said you were doing a great job. Uh, 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 I don't believe that for a second. Um, so this is all in alphabetical order. It says like the gender goddess or god, and then the, what they're god of. So Baduhina is a goddess of war and storms. Uh, Baudor um, identifies with Old English Beldor, or lord or prince. He's a god of Isir. Uh, He's a god of uh, beauty, love, purity, peace, and righteousness. <laughs> Belia, a younger form of uh, Norse uh, Bulina, 
a little bean, a goddess of earth, Bill, uh, a goddess of uh, um, Asfugur, uh, waning moon. So that's the group she's uh, part of, is Asfugur. Because there is uh, Esser, or what were the two uh, groupings? You said Esser and Vanir? So the Aesir and the Vanir. And if and if you come across like the tree that they believe like held up earth or whatever, it's called Yggdrasil. Mm, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I, a... I, I pronounce it like Yggdrasil, but that's wrong. So. Yeah, because there's like three different names on this list of what group they could be of. There's Isir, and then there's A-S-Y-N-J-U-R, Asayur, and then there's uh, Vanir. Uh, V-A-N-I-R. Right. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. So there's three pieces to it. Um, there's um, uh, Bragi, or Brag, uh, connected to Old, uh, old Norse of Bragir, or poetry. He's a, a god. Uh, knowledge, poetry, eloquency, uh, patron of uh, skalds. S-K-A-L-D-S. I don't know what skalds are. I don't remember. Um, there's... Uh, Denninger, um, which means luminous or shining one. He, he's a god, Esir, uh, personification of dawn, ear, uh, protection or help, uh, goddess of healing, Estrier, uh, goddess of uh, spring, rebirth, protectionist, or per- protectionist of, of fertility, uh, foreset, um, presiding one is what it means in Old North, Norse, uh, god, Esir, justice. Uh, Freya, which is a pretty uh, well-known goddess. Uh, Vanir, uh, fertility, love, beauty, magic, war, and death. Oh, she's a, she's a goddess of a lot of things. Uh, uh, so that's Freja. Yeah, re- uh, re- remember in these pantheons, Jared, is like, you know, like in different parts of the culture, you know, they could have been, uh, you know, worshipping different gods and goddesses in different parts of the you know, country or whatever. And that, you know, there's probably a lot of overlap that occurred with, you know, what they believe these gods stood for, right? Yep. Because uh, there's Freya and there's Freyr. So Freya is a goddess and Freyr is a god. Um, they're both veneer, but uh, Freyr is agriculture, prosperity, life, and fertility. So uh, Freya and Freyr share fertility together, which is interesting. And there's Frigg. Which is love. Uh, so Frigg is uh, to love Old Norse. Uh, she's a goddess of Azure. Um, Azure. Uh, love, marriage, fertility, family, civilization, and prophecy. Um, there's uh, Gioth, the giving one in Old Norse, uh, knowledge. Uh, Jemers, uh, Old Norse meaning Jim. She's a goddess of Azure uh, for love. Um, there's a uh, Harasa, uh, goddess of war. Uh, Hermeldal, goddess of gar- his guardian. Um, Hel, um, H-E-L, uh, goddess of the dead. That would be a terrifying god to meet. Hermod, um, he's a god, a messenger. Hillen, uh, consolidation and protection. Idun, uh, spring and rejuvenation. Interesting. Deeper, earth. Uh, low fun marriage, uh, Loki, mischief, uh, Mani, uh, or main, uh, the moon, uh, Mirmur, uh, wisdom, uh, Nan, Nanna, uh, joy and peace, uh, nerds, 
me uh, earth uh, nojor a uh, sea and wind norjorun earth uh, odin uh, who's part of isir um, uh, it's like a weird looking a e s i r uh, wisdom war magic poetry prophecy victory and death um ran old norse rain uh so he was a thief uh the sea and death uh old uh, uh saga old norse sagas the seeing one wisdom and treasure um Sip, old norse meaning wife uh harvest and land she's a goddess uh sigguna goddess of earth um yeah it seems like a lot of these gods share a lot of different uh depending on what uh part they're from either Ashur or Vanir and they kind of like share the same similar powers in some aspects yeah so there were like uh you know two different I guess for lack of a better okay. word species or races Faction, of maybe? races or factions of gods I mean it's it's probably not exactly clear what they were what they meant well, it's also important to remember that these were oral, these were spread orally before they were ever written down. Right. So for... a lot of that, it's like that game of telephone, you know, a lot of things could be misinterpreted. And so we just have to go based off of what the yeah, the recent belief was before it was written down. Yeah, the, the, the best, we're, you know, we're doing the best we can with what information we have today. Yep, exactly. Uh, so for um, relationship, love, and marriage. Uh, Sariki, uh, Old Norse Asako, equaling death, hunting, and winter. He's from a veneer, or she's from veneer, she's a goddess. Uh, Sanor, Old Norse, clever, a goddess of wisdom. Sol, a goddess of personification of the sun. Sin, um, Old Norse for refusal, goddess, defense, and truth. Thor, dun dun dun, Thor. He's a god, strength, protection, war, storms, thunder, and lightning. Interesting. Um, there's uh, Tari, uh, T Y R. How would you pronounce that? T Y R. Just tear tire. Tire. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Tire. He's a god, war, justice in battle, victory, and heroic glory. I like him. He sounds like a good god. <laughs> Ural, uh, goddess of justice in winter. Uh, Val, um, uh, Old Norse Valley. Uh, the Slain, she's a goddess of vengeance. Uh, I don't want to get on her bad side. Ave, uh, a god of earth. Uh, Vivil, a uh, god of earth as well. Uh, Vor, uh, Old Norse Vore, the careful one, wisdom. And uh, the last one, Sisa, a goddess of harvest. All right, that's, uh, that's about all the um, major gods. Um, there's a probably a lot more that are not on this list and i skipped out on a few of them that didn't have like the god of they're just gods um so those are there are a few of them that i skipped out on like geralda or a good or Goldveg. um ones that i've never heard of or most people probably haven't lordor never heard of that before either mordor Mordor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah all right are you uh i'll throw it over to luke so i can get into the tales Okay, so I just wanted to um, touch on two quick points on, like, where we think that this originated from. So it, you know, goes back to the Iron Age, um, 
One man described Old Norse religion as a, quote, cultural patchwork, which emerged under a wide range of influences from earlier Scandinavian religions. It may have had links to Nordic Bronze Age, um, so which is believed to have died out around 500 BCE. A number of Bronze Age motifs, such as the wheel cross, reappear later in Iron Age texts or contexts. It is often regarded as having developed from earlier religious beliefs found among the Germanic Iron Age peoples. And the Germanic languages likely emerged in 1st millennium BCE in present-day northern Germany or Denmark, after which they spread. Several of the deities in Old Norse religion have parallels among other Germanic societies, and the Scandinavian Iron Age began around 500 to 400 BCE. Archaeological evidence is particularly important for understanding these early periods. Accounts from this time were produced by Tacitus, According to the scholar Gabriel Turville Petrie, Tacitus's observations, quote, helped to explain later Old Norse religion. Tacitus described the Germanic people as having priests, open air sacred sites, and an emphasis on sacrifice, including humans, augury, and fortune telling. And Tacitus notes that the Germanic peoples were polytheistic and mentioned some of the deities through perceived Roman equivalents. Um, in the 870s, uh, Norwegian settlers left their homeland and colonized Iceland, bringing their belief system with them. Place name evidence suggests that Thor was the most popular god on the island, although there are also saga accounts of devotees of Freyr, in Iceland, including a, quote, priest of Freyr in the later Hrafnil Nichols saga. <laughs> God, these names kill me. Um, You're having a rough time, yeah. aren't you? <laughs> there are no place names connected to Odin on the island. Unlike other Nordic societies, Iceland lacked a monarchy and thus a centralizing authority, which could reinforce religious adherence. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so well, you just I I want to go over some of the um just like some of the main characters we'll go into. Um Okay, so like Odin was the king of the Aesir gods. Um he was also known as the Allfather. Um Apart from being the king of the realm of the gods Asgard, Odin is also the all-father of Norse mythology gods. His mother was the Jotun Besla, and his father was the Bor, B-O-R-R. Odin is renowned for going to battle on Sleipnir. His eight-legged horse, his spear Gungnir, was forged by the dwarves, and it is said that it can never miss its target. He's associated with many different aspects, such as wisdom, healing, sorcery, and even frenzy. Um, Odin is portrayed as a haggard and poor wanderer who is seeking knowledge, even though he's the king of the Aesir gods. Um, the Allfather had five sons with four different wives. With Frigg, his wife, he had 
Hor and Balder and Jotnir, Rinder, God, uh, can't even bore him, Vali and Viol, uh, Yoro, the personification of the earth, gave him his most famous son, uh, Thor. Um, so then we have Ymir, the forefather of the giants. Um, he was the primeval entity of the Norse pantheon and the forefather of all mythical creatures in the universe. These mythical entities are known as Jotnir, uh, often perceived as the, quote, first being. He was born when the heat of Muspelheim and the ice of Niflheim clashed. Um, he was, I'll say, multi-gendered, because the word that they use is <laughs> people wouldn't like. Um, he gave birth to the first male, female, and other creatures from Norse mythology, and that's how everything started. After Ymir, Buri was created. It was believed that he was the first of the Norse gods. Buri's son, Bor, married Besla, and she gave birth to three sons, V, Vili, and Odin. And these three young Norse gods killed Ymir in the battle that followed. What 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 does that remind you of, Jared? So in Greek mythology, if you remember, like, uh, God, what's Zeus and and all of his um, siblings overthrow his father, right? Kronos. Yeah, they, yeah, Kronos and yeah, the Titans. Yeah, they they overthrow Kronos and the Titans. So you know, this is that's just like um, Norse mythology, apparently. Um, yeah, it's very similar. So from Ymir's corpse, Odin with his brothers created the entire earth. They created oceans and seas from his blood and mountains from his bones. Ymir's teeth turned into rocks while his hair created trees and vegetation. The young gods created the sky from his skull and they used his brains to make clouds. What? Finally, together with his brothers, Odin used his eyebrows to create a great wall that will surround and defend Midgard, the realm of mankind. So then we go to Thor. Um, God of Thunder. He was the husband of the goddess Sif and son of Odin. Uh, he was given a symbolic role as the protector of the realms. He had a red Viking beard and eyes. He's thought to be the strongest being amongst the gods and men alike. His immense strength was further increased by his iron gloves and his power belt. Menging Yard. However, the item most associated with Thor is unquestionably Mihonir, uh, which meant lightning, his dwarf-crafted hammer. And Norse mythology describes Mjolnir as one of the most powerful artifacts that ever existed. Uh, da, 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 he had a chariot that was apparently drawn by two giant goats. Um. <laughs> Why goats? <laughs> Why goats? That's crazy. Okay, so here's Frigg, the queen of the Aesir gods. Um, she was the most important of all Norse goddesses. Uh, she was perceived as the goddess of family. Marriage and motherhood as his wife, or Odin's wife, she gave birth to two of his sons, Balder and Hoor, as a, God, dang it, as a ruler <laughs> of Asgard, the realm of the gods. 
she's the only one allowed to sit on the throne other than Odin. Um, apparently, Friday is named after uh, what they used to call it, uh, Frigg's Day. So, apparently, there's a Thor's Day, and that's where Thursday comes from. Yep. So, our, uh, wait. They're actually directly named from uh, Norse mythology. Okay, so I, I, I want to talk about um, Loki, and then I'll kick it back to Jared, and then I'll finish with the rest of these gods. Um, so. You might, are you reading from a different page than the one I sent you? Yes. That's... Well, these, I... This one was the one that we were supposed to read from because this one has the direct stories, like oh. from like the actual stories of the like, creation of the cosmos, and we're gonna go in order for that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I just want to go over Loki really quick, and then I'll kick it to you. Um, okay. So Loki is a Jotun, uh, the son of giantess Lofi and giant Farboti, with an ability to shapeshift. He is the god of mischief and trickery, and the father of monsters. He creates Sleipnir, uh, Odin's eight-legged steed, as well as the serpent Jormungandr and the monstrous wolf Fenrir. Because of his trickery, he's often not considered as one of the Aesir gods. Other than causing the death of Baldr, it is foretold that Loki will bring death to many Norse gods during Ragnarok. For instance, it is believed that Fenrir, the wolf, will kill Odin, and Jormungandr, the serpent, will cause Thor's death. So, I'll kick it back to you. This is the page we were supposed to read from. Dang it, Luke. <laughs> the body of the stones that we call today... Um, the body of the stories, sorry, that we call today Norse mythology formed one of the centerpieces of the pagan Norse religion. These are the tales that Viking poets recited in a, a dim, dimly lit halls to captivate the audiences of grand feasts in which fathers and mothers told their children around roaring hearth fires on long winter nights they are epic myths of war magic love betrayal triumph and ruin not only did they provide uh, deep wells of religious meaning for the vikings they also provided to much that it is timeless and universal in the human condition and so continue to provide modern audiences from around the world with wonder entertainment and even spiritual nourishment for some since the pre-Christian uh, Norse never wrote down their myths, there was a, uh, an almost exclusive oral culture. Primary sources on which our current knowledge of Norse mythology um, uh, rests were written while the Norse were converting to Christianity, or uh, generations thereafter. Thus, we cannot be absolutely certain that the stories as they are come down to us are the same as the tales of the pagan Vikings would have told to one another. But while the myths from the Old Norse Eda and Sagas may not be pure, they nevertheless contain much uh, that certainly is authentic production of the Viking Age, and in any case, we're all, that's all, they're all we got today. The chronology of the Norse myth has a clear beginning in the creation myth and a clear ending in the tale of Ragnarok, which is the way we were supposed to go through it, Luke, dang it, we're supposed to go from the beginning to the end. You, you, you just, um, you sent me like the, the... Just the page that said Norse mythology, like the home page. I I don't know what page you're even going off of. I told you tales. It, it has home, my book, God's cre uh, creatures, cosmo uh, cos cosmology, and tales. We're going off the tales page of that one. 
Um, mm-hmm. But most of what happened in between those two bookends doesn't occur in any particular order and contain, uh, certainly doesn't follow a strict linear trajectory. Sometimes we find that a myth A assumes that B, myth B has already taken place, yet myth B assumes that myth A has already taken place. This is because North mytholo- mythology was never a neat, tidy system. The Viking's mind didn't demand the same kind of strict, rational codification that the modern mind does, or at least thinks it does. Instead, the Vikings seem to have been much more concerned with how much with how uh, much the myths spoke to their hearts and imaginations, as well as the degree to which the myths reflected and made sense of the world as they experienced it. In other words, they were more interested in the story's existential significance other than fitting them into a doctrinal, uh, chronological, precise framework. Um, so we'll go into the creation of the cosmos. Um, the North creation myth, or uh, cosmogony, an account for the origins of the cosmos is perhaps one of the richest in all of the world's literature, um, which I think Luke was talking about this um, earlier with uh, them taking down uh, Yamir being slain by Odin and his brothers. Um, so I don't think I have to go into this because I think Luke touched on that already about creating rocks out of his teeth and the hair becoming, uh, what, what was that, plant life? And then his brains becoming the clouds, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, did you talk about the creation of the first humans? No. Why? Okay. Why don't you read that one? Sweet. Ask uh, and Embla are the first humans, male and female, respectively, to be created in North Norse mythology. Uh, the story of how they were created, as it comes down to us in Nor- uh, Old Norse. Norse literature goes like this. Not too long after the world itself was created by Odin, was walking along the coast of one of the new landmasses with him were two other gods. In one version, there was his brother Vila and Ve. In another version, there are obscure figures, Holnir and Lodur. Um, three deities found two tree trunks, perhaps pieces of driftwood lying on the beach. They were shaped like a man and a woman, but they were lifeless and powerless. So the three gods decided to give them what they lack and make them true humans. Odin blew into them the life of breath while his two companions uh, imparted inspirational or inspired mental activity, a healthy complexion, and the ability to hear, speak, and see. They dressed them in uh, suitable clothes and named the man Ask and the woman Embla. Embla. E-M-B-L-A. Uh, Ask and Embla were given the Midgard, the world of human civilization, for their dwelling place. They became father and mother to the entire human species. In the Viking Age, there was surely more to this story that has since been lost due to the rather sparse and fragmentary nature of the primary sources. One of the two extents uh, extents of the Old Norse version of the myths come from a poem, uh, Poetic Ida. Uh, It's called Vasupa, uh, which seems to be missing one or more uh, stanzas that would have come uh, directly before the two stanzas that recount the creation of Ask and Embla. In the form in which the poem has come down to us, the stanzas before these have to do with dwarves, and the transition from them to this myth is abrupt and seems uh, uh, seemingly uh, arbitrary. However, a few scholars have interpreted those preceding stanzas as implying that the dwarves, the master craftsmen of the cosmos, had fashioned their initial forms of Ask and Embla, which the gods then brought to life. Uh, the meaning of the name Ask is very straightforward. The original Old Norse form of the word Asker, or Ash Tree, a fitting name since the pair were made from tree trunks. And the meaning of Embla's name uh, was more elusive. Some of the main school, uh, scholarly guesses so far are M, Elm, Waterpot, 
and vine. If vine is correct, it could be a sexual metaphor. Vines were used as a kindling and drills were made of harder wood. So the drills which corresponded to ask would make a fire which corresponded to life by boring into the vine which corresponded to embla, which would be um, like giving birth and stuff like that, if I, based off of what they're saying. Trees are frequently used as metaphors at Keenings more precisely for humans in Old Norse Poetry would suggest a strong association between humans and trees in the Norse mind. Uh, that's kind of interesting. Perhaps this is an indirect uh, collaboration of the myths as we find it in the Edas. The uh, Old Norse scholar uh, Henning Kure interprets this association thusly. A man has his feet on the ground anchored to this world, anchored in this world. Um, with roots tied to death and chaos in his nature. But his crown, his head or mind, is in the mental or spiritual world, like like the tree, uh, world tree. Uh, man possesses the capability of connecting the world above with the world below. But it takes the way of the gods to create the link. Mm. So that's kind of interesting. And that's the uh, end of like how uh, uh, man and woman came to be. Um, all right, uh, what, what, I'm going to throw it back to you, Luke. What did you have again? The Aesir Veneer War. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, so I guess now we're just going into the myths, so enjoy. And enjoy the, my damn neighbor's dogs barking in the background again, because, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, so the, the War of the Gods. The Veneer goddess Freya was always the four most practitioner of the art of Sidir, most powerful kind of magic. Like most uh, practitioners, she wandered from town to town, plying her craft for hire. Under the name Bright, she eventually um, came to Asgard, the home of the Aesir. The Aesir were quite taken by her powers and zealously sought her services, but soon they realized that their values of honor, kin loyalty, and obedience to the law were being pushed aside by the selfish desires they sought to fulfill with the witch's magic. Blaming her for their own shortcomings, the Aesir called her gold greed and attempted to kill her. Three times they tried to burn her, and three times she was reborn from the ashes. She's a witch. Because of this, the Aesir and Veneer came to hate and fear one another, and these hostilities are erupted into war. The Aesir fought by the rules of plain combat with weapons and brute force, while the Vanir used the sub subtler I can't speak today means of magic. The war went on for some time, with both sides gaining the upper hand uh, by turns. Eventually, the two tribes of divinities became wary of fighting and decided to call a truce. As was customary among the ancient Norse and other Germanic people, the two sides agreed to pay tribute to each other by sending hostages to live amongst the other tribe. Um, Freya... <coughs> Sorry. Freya, Freyr... And Niord of the Vanir went to the Aesir, and Honir and Mimir went to the Vanir. 
Neord and his children seem to have lived more or less in peace in Asgard. Unfortunately, the same can't be said of Honir and Mimir and Vanaheim. The Vanir immediately saw that Honir was seemingly able to deliver incomparably wise advice on any problem, but they failed to notice that this was only because he had Mimir in his company. Honir was actually a rather slow-witted simpleton who was at a loss for words when Mimir wasn't able to counsel him. After Hoenir responded to the veneers and in trees with the unhelpful let others decide one too many times, the Vanir thought they had been cheated in the hostage exchange. They beheaded Mimir and sent the severed head back to Asgard, where the distraught Odin chanted magic poems over the head and embalmed it in herbs. Thus pre- pre- preserved, Mimir's head continued to give indispensable advice to Odin in times of need. The two tribes um, were still wary of fighting a war that was so evenly matched, however. Rather than renewing their hostilities over this tragic misunderstanding, each of the Aesir and Vanir came together and spat into a cauldron. From their saliva, they created Kava Sir, the wisest of all beings, as a way of pledging sustained harmony. So he was like a mediator then. Yeah, and I think that both, um, like he counseled both sides or whatever. Probably because they're so, like you mentioned, they're so evenly matched that it would have probably meant a mutual destruction if they were to um, actually go to like a full, like full out blown conflict. So that's why they created him. That's interesting. So even in even in Norse mythology, they have a way of mediating, and they're kind of telling of that mediation, which is really interesting. That's kind of cool. They would just trade hostages. Yep. Or severed heads. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... Um, the mead uh, of poetry. Sweet. This is the story of how Odin came to the possession of the mead of poetry. Um, at the conclusion of the Asir Vanir War, the Asir Vanir god and goddesses sealed their uh, truce by spitting into a great vat from which their spit formed the being who they, they named uh, Ka- uh, Vazmir. Or how did you pronounce it, Luke? Kazvir? Yeah, Kavasir. Kavasir. Kavasir was the wisest human that ever lived. Oh, so he's a human. He wasn't even a god, he was a human. Um, that had ever lived. None were able to present him with a question for which he didn't have a satisfying answer. He became fam- famous and traveled throughout the world giving counsel. Kavasir was invited to the home of two dwarves, um, Falar, the deceiver, and Galar, the screamer. Upon his arrival, the dwarves uh, slew Kavasir and uh, brewed mead with his blood. Uh, this mead contained Kavasir's ability to dispense wisdom and was appropriately named uh, oh, over uh, stir of inspiration. How the heck do you pronounce that? Or, uh, I'm sorry, what did you say, Luke? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> it, I, you, you always cut out when you're being sassy, and I don't understand. It's like Discord's trying to protect my feelings. <laughs> Maybe that's a good Anyone thing. Who drank it with... <laughs> 
Anyone who drank of it would become a poet or a scholar. And when the gods questioned them about Kavasir's disappearance, Valar and Galar told them that Kavasir had choked on his own wisdom. The two dwarves apparently delighted in the murder. Soon after this incident, they took the giant uh, Gilling out to sea and drowned him for sport. The sounds of Gilling's weeping wife irritated them, so they killed her as well. But, uh, <laughs> you're uh, you're, you're annoying us out. with your crying. Can you shut up? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. These guys are vicious. Yeah, how dare uh, you? How dare you cry over your own uh, spouse being killed? That <laughs> we killed. Yeah. God. Um. This time by dropping a millstone on her head as she passed under the doorway of her their house. Holy moly. Uh, this last, yeah, a, a millstone. Those things are huge and heavy. Um, but this last mischief got the dwarves into trouble when uh, Gil, uh, Gilsing's son, uh, uh, Sutton Tug, um, heavy with drink, learned of his father's murder. He seized the dwarves and at low tide carried them out to a reef that would soon be covered by the waves. The dwarves pleaded for their lives and Stunning's... Uh, uh, granted their request only when they agreed to give him the mead they had brewed uh, from Kavasir's blood. Uh, Stunning um, hid the vats of the mead in the chamber beneath the mountains of uh, Hittenburg, or Pulsing Rock, where he appointed his daughter Gunlod an uh, invitation of battle to watch over them. Now Odin, the chief of the gods, who is restless and unstoppable in his pursuit of wisdom, was displeased with the precious mead being hoarded away beneath the mountain. He bent his will towards acquiring it for himself and those he deemed worthy of its power. Disguised as a wandering farmhand, Odin went to the farm of uh, Sudding's brother, uh, Boogie, uh, and found nine servants mowing hay. He approached them and took out a waystone from underneath his cloak, offered to sharpen their sights. They eagerly agreed. After marveling at how well their sights cut the hay, they all declared this to be the finest wheat waystone they had ever seen, and each asked to purchase it. Odin consented to sell, selling it, but he warned him you must pay a high price. And then he drew the stone in the air, and they scrabbled to catch it. Excuse me. The nine killed each other with their sights. Odin went to uh, Balrog's door, introduced himself as uh, Bulfriker, a worker of, the, of misfortune. He offered to do the work of the nine servants who he had, as he told it, uh, so baselessly killed each other in a dispute in the field earlier that day. As his reward, he demanded a snip of uh, Sudding's mead. Uh, Bugid uh, responded that he had no control of the mead and that Suddings guarded it jealously and that if uh, Bolverg, which was Odin, could truly perform the work of nine men, he would help the apparent farmhand to obtain his desire. At the end of the growing season, Odin had fulfilled his promise to uh, the giant, who agreed to accompany him to uh, Suttonig um, to uh, inquire about the mead. Suttonig, um, however, angrily refused. The disguised god, reminding Baoji, uh, I can never pronounce his dang name, of their bargain, convinced the giant to aid him in uh, gaining access to Golord's dwelling. Uh, the two went uh, to a part of the mountain in uh, Buji that uh, knew to be the nearest to the underground chamber. Odin took out an auger from his cloak and handed it to Buji for Hill uh, to drill through the rock. The giant did so. After much work announced that the hole was fi finished, Odin blew into the hole to verify Bu uh, Buji's claim when the rock dust blew back into his face. He knew that his companion had lied to him. The suspicious god then bla uh, baited uh, or uh, B-A-D-E. How, how do you pronounce that word? Baited? Uh, B-A-D-E? Batted? Bade. What? Bade. Bade? 
Yes. The Giant... Ah, I can't hear you so far from your mic. Uh, Bade the Giant to finish what he had started. When Buji uh, proclaimed the hole to be fit complete for the second time, Odin once again blew into the hole. This time the debris was blown through the hole. Odin thanked Buji for his help, shifted his shape into that of the snake, and crawled out the hole. Buji stabbed after him with the auger, but Odin made it through just in time. Once inside, he assumed the form of a charming young man and made his way to where a good guarded the mead. He won her favor and secured the promise a promise from her that if he would uh, sleep with her for three nights, she would grant him three sips of the mead. After the third night, Odin went to the mead, uh, which was in three vats, and consumed the contents of each vat in a single drought. Um, Odin then changed his shape again, this time into that in a eagle, and flew off towards Asgard, the god's uh, celestial stronghold with his prize in his throat. Sutnig soon discovered this trickery and took the form of an other eagle and flew off in pursuit of Odin. When the gods spied their leader approaching with Sutnik close behind him, they set out several uh, vessels at the rim of their fortress. Odin reached their, the abode of his fellow gods before Sutnik could catch him, and the giant retreated in anguish. As Odin came to the containers, he regurgitated the meat into them. As, uh, as he did so, however, a few drops fell from his uh, beak to Midgard, the world of humans. Below, these drops were the source of the ability of all bad and mediocre poet, poets and scholars, but the true poets and scholars are those who, um, whom Odin dispenses meat personally and with care. Looking for more great... Oh, that's and that's the end of that story. I was about to read that, but... <laughs> yeah, Jared was about to read an ad, even though we're not sponsored, so I apologize. Yeah, I, to, I, I, I apologize for that. For, for that dire <laughs> mistake. Um, okay, so now I'm going to read the creation of Thor's... Hamar, Mjolnir. One day, Loki the trickster found himself in an especially mischievous mood and cut off the gorgeous golden hair of Sif, the wife of Thor. When Thor learned of this, his quick temper was enraged, um, and he seized Loki and threatened to break every bone in his body. Loki pleaded with the thunder god to let him go down to Svartalheim, the cavernous home of the dwarves and see if those master craftspeople could fashion a new head of hair for Sif. Because that's how you make hair. You get dwarves to do it. This one even... Yeah, you don't, you don't just grow it out. You make dwarves do it. Yeah. <laughs> this one even more beautiful than the original. Thor allowed this and off Loki went to Svartalheim. Then he was able to obtain what he desired... The sons of the dwarf Ivaldi forged not only a new head of hair for Sif, but also two other marvels. Skid Bladnir, the best of all ships, which always has a favorable wind and can be folded up and put into one's pocket. So it's the first origami ship, Viking ship. So, yeah, we're, we're still working on that technology, sadly. And... Gungnir, yeah, the deadliest of all spears. Having accomplished his task, Loki was overcome by an urge to remain in the caves of the dwarves and revel in more recklessness. He approached the brothers Broker and Sindri and taunted them, saying that he was sure the brothers could never forge three new creations equals 
to those the sons of Evaldi had fashioned. In fact, he even bet his head on their lack of ability. Broker and Sindri, however, accepted the wager. As they worked, a fly who was none other than Loki, that crazy guy, stung Sindri's head. When the dwarf pulled his creation out of the fire, it was a living boar with golden hair. What? So, a dwarf made a giant boar with golden locks. So, it must have been a pretty sexy boar. Um, oh, yeah. So, this was Golan Bursty, known as Golden Bristled, who gave off light in the dark and could run better than any horse even through water or air, because that's how that works. Um, Sindri then set another piece of gold on the fire as Broker worked the bellows. The fly bit Broker on the neck, and Sindri drew out a magnificent ring. Drop near from this ring every ninth night fall eight new golden rings of equal weight. Did I just read the inspiration for Lord of the Rings? I, I, you might have. <laughs> I, I feel like this is the inspiration for Lord of the Rings. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. J.R.R. Token, we need to talk. We'll see you in the principal's office. Um, Sindri then put iron on the hearth and told Brokier that for his next working, they must be especially meticulous, for a mistake would be more costly than with the previous two projects. Loki immediately stung Brokier's eyelid, and the blood blocked the dwarf's eye, preventing him from properly seeing his work. Sindri pr produced a hammer of unsurpassed quality, which never missed its mark, and would boomerang back to its owner after being thrown, but it had one flaw. The handle was short. Oh, the horror. Sindri lamented that this had almost ruined the piece, which was called Mjolnir, or Lightning. Nevertheless, sure of the great worth of their three treasures, they, the dwarves made their way to Asgard to claim the wages that were due to them. Loki made it to the halls of the gods before the dwarves and presented the marvels he had acquired. Wait. So he, like, stole the three things that they had just made? Okay, so... There, there are three things that were made before that. They're the... the they're the... Uh, the, the hair? Spear at the hair and then something else. Yeah. And then he challenged the other two dwarves, which are from a different uh, family lineage, to create something better. And then now they're going to... Um, Asgard to pre present that to the gods, but Loki made it first to show what he made, what he got made. Right. Okay, so um, so he got to the hall of the gods before them. So to Thor, he gave Sif's new hair and the hammer Mjolnir. Yeah, so he like stole the hammer from the dwarves that he just commissioned or whatever. To Odin went the ring Dropnir and the spear Gungnir. And Freyr was the happier recipient of Skid Bladnir and Golden Bursty, so the golden-haired uh, boar, and I'm not sure what the Skid Bladnir is. What the heck is that? Yeah, let me go look. Uh, Skid Bladnir. Um, 
uh, two other mortals. Uh, the best of all ships. That's the origami ship. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That can fold. Okay. So, um, so as grateful as the gods were to receive these gifts, especially Mihonir, which they foresaw would be of inestimable help in their battles against the giants, the frost giants, I think. They nevertheless conclude that Loki still owed the dwarves his head. When the dwarves approached Loki with knives, the cunning god pointed out that he had promised them his head, but not his neck. They contented, the two dwarves contented themselves with sewing Loki's mouth shut and returning to their forge. What? Instead of getting his head, they're just like, okay, we'll make you shut up by yeah, shutting your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> shut up, we're going back to our forge, whatever. Yeah, whatever, we're just going back. <laughs> that's how this hammer is created. And then um, the fortification of Asgard, because they're in that battle against the giants, right? So they got to fortify Asgard, their home area. Uh, Asgard, the celestial stronghold of uh, Asir tribe of gods and goddesses, is encircled by a high protective wall. This wall, the Gadar element in uh, Old Norse named Asgore, uh, defended the uh, Asir from incursions by the giants and other beings who are often the enemies of gods. But this wall wasn't always there. This tale recounts how the wall was built. Uh, this uh, uh, riotous story was probably one of the raunchiest and most scandalous tales in all the world of mythology. And that's why we're uh, reading it on this podcast. Yes, and not in the tube. Yeah. A, a certain smith arrived at Asgard one day and offered to build the gods a high wall around their home to protect them from any who might wish to ill them. The smith, certainly a giant himself, said he could uh, complete his work in a mere three seasons, but demanded a steep compensation, the hand of the goddess Freya in marriage, as well as a sun and moon. The goddesses took count, uh, the gods took counsel together. Freya was adamantly against the giant's terms from the start, but Loki... Dang, Loki. He always button his head into places he shouldn't be. <laughs> but Loki suggested that the builder should obtain that which he desired, although uh, only if he could complete his work in a single winter, with no aid from anyone but his horse. Uh, after much deliberation, the gods consented to Loki's plan. Of course, the gods had no intention of actually giving Freya away, nor the sun or moon. They thought the task they demanded was impossible. The giant smith, however, agreed to their terms and provided that the gods swear an oath to ensure that if their conditions were met, they would still fulfill their end of the bargain and that he himself would be safe in Asgard while he worked. The builder set about constructing the wall. The gods marveled at how quickly the structure was raised and what was even more perplexing to them was the giant stallion, uh, Safavir, the unlucky traveler. Oh, that's a bad, that's a bad name. <laughs> Seemed to uh, be doing almost twice as much work as the smith himself hauling enormous boulders over considerable distances to aid in the Ephesus. Uh, when the end of the winter was probably only three days ahead, the wall was strong enough to be impenetrable by almost any enemy. Alarmingly, the lack of little before it was finished, um, only the stones around the gate had yet to be put in place. Anxious gods, gods seized Loki and rebuked him, uh, rebuked him for giving them such a foul advice. They threatened him with death if he could not find a way to prevent the giant from finishing task and making off with their beloved god Freya and the sun and the moon, bringing their uh, never-ending darkness and dreariness to the nine worlds. Loki pleaded with the gods to spare his life and swore an oath that he would do as the gods desired, come what may. Um, that night, the giant and uh, Savalfar ventured into the snow-draped forest in search of a stone. Along their way, a mare 
um, who was none other than Loki in disguise, whined up to the stallion from a short distance away. When the stallion saw the mare, his heart wasn't the only organ that was roused by the delight and lust. He snapped his reins and bound into the woods after her. The mare ran all night, and all night Safir chased after her. When morning came, the giant's horse was still missing. The now desperate giant knew that there was no way he could finish the wall in time. Asir then paid the giant's wage. They deemed him deserved uh, a fatal blow from Thor's hammer, which shattered his head into pieces no bigger than breadcrumbs. While deep in the forest, Safir caught up with Loki, who uh, soon gave birth to a gray eight-legged horse, uh, Selfamir, who became the steed of Odin. Looking f- Oh, I almost read the dang ad again. Um, but yeah, that's crazy. Wait, so Loki gave birth? Yeah. Uh, Safir, the big horse of the giant, caught up with Loki and... Had, uh, had its uh, way with him. Yep, and gave birth to a gray eight-legged horse. An eight-legged horse, that's weird. Called a Sulfamnir, who became a steed of Odin. Yeah, so sleep, <laughs> Sleipnir or whatever. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting right there. Okay, so we're, <laughs> so we're going to end this one on why Odin is one-eyed. Odin's quest for wisdom was never-ending, and he was willing to pay any price for the understanding of life's mysteries that he craves more than anything else. On one occasion, he, uh, I'm not reading that first part, wounded himself with a spear and fasted from food and drink for nine days and nights in order to discover the runes. On another occasion, he ventured to Mimir's well, which is surely none other than the well of Urd, amongst the roots of the world tree Yggdrasil. There dwelt Mimir, a shadowy being whose knowledge of all things was practically unparalleled among the inhabitants of the cosmos. He achieved this status largely by taking his water from the well, whose waters impart this cosmic knowledge. When Odin arrived, he asked Mimir for a drink from the water, Wells Guardian, knowing the value of such a drink, refused unless the seeker offered an iron exchange. Odin, whether straight away or after anguish deliberation, gouged out one of his own eyes and dropped it into the well. Having made the necessary sacrifice, Mimir dropped his horn into the well and offered the now one-eyed god a drink. So, um... I think we still have about half of the ones to go because we have the next one is Odin's discovery of the runes. And then, you know, we get to Ragnarok. So, yeah. Um, I think. Uh, oh, were you not going to read the interpretation? No, I just, I just want to read the myths. So, yeah. Okay, that's fair. Okay. Um, so we're going to end it there, and uh, part two is going to be the um, rest of the tales in chronological order because Jared got mad at me again. So, you know, it's just how things are, you know. We had an understanding, and I asked if that was okay. Yeah, so <laughs> apparently I am bad at listening, so, you know asking questions whatever <laughs> okay um thanks for listening guys look out for part two i wasn't this one a uh listener request yes sir yeah so um 
thank you to that listener. Uh, I know your name, of course. I just don't want to give it out. Um, but thank you for listening uh, to our humble podcast. And um, we will also be doing Greek mythology, right? Yes, sir. That'll be another uh, different episode and maybe even series, depending on how much uh, content there is for that. Yeah. Which I assume there's probably plenty. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, and it's less chronological than um, Norse mythology, obviously. So, yeah. Um, so, thank you for listening. Have a good day, dia, night, whatever, wherever you are, even if you're in Canada, because I love Canada. And uh, uh, anything to add, Gerard? You said about all of it. Just thank you for watching. We appreciate you guys. and uh, We appreciate yeah, Canada. <laughs> yep. Um, and uh, we hope you guys have a good one. Yep. Peace. Have a good night. Bye.